0: Hallelujah. You can be seated if you can. (laughs) Jesus. 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 (laughs) Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 21. For those that are guests, I was reminded to remind you that if you're a guest and you see if you're a parent, you see your call number up on the screen. that means our children's ministry is begging for you. <laughs> our volunteers are wonderful, but the, i can I can just picture them back there on their knees begging that you'll come back and help them. So if you see your number up there, that's what that means matthew twenty one I want to take a look today. You know how many of you have heard in the news all of the uh all of the things going around about fake news, hidden agendas. Anybody heard anything? I mean, presidency, all this stuff lately. You'd have to not you'd have to be like totally in another world to not hear about fake news and hidden agendas lately. But my message title today is fake news and hidden agendas, and no, I'm not preaching on the presidency or President Trump or anybody else. But if we take a look at scripture, scripture is full of people that were spreading fake news and hidden agendas. We take a look at Jesus' ministry, and he was surrounded by people who were spreading rumors about him, spreading gossip about him, things that weren't true. Anybody been there this morning? Somebody said something about you that wasn't true, spreading rumors? You know, at some point or another, when you're in ministry, when you're in life, I mean, it just happens, but but in ministry, it's like you got a big target painted on you. Can I get some more volume in my mic? I can barely hear myself. Uh, when you're in... And, and not to blast anybody out, so they'll, they'll, help, they'll help not blast you out and help me hear myself. So you can bring it down just a touch. Thanks. But when you're in ministry, it's funny because you sometimes you get this, we say it's the big marker painted on your back. You know, everybody's got something to say about you. They got Everybody's got an opinion about what you're doing, about what you're not doing. There's always room for fake news and hidden agendas. Right? Maybe you're here this morning and you've been offended by church life. Maybe somebody in church has spread fake news and hidden agendas about you. Well, today, I believe that Jesus can just wash all of that clean. Listen, we're, I, I don't care about what anybody else thinks. You just got to step in. Stay in tune with what Jesus is doing today. Get in tune with what he's saying about your life. Get in tune with what the scripture says about your life. Stop listening to everybody else on everybody else's opinion and all the other lies that everybody done, did, said, this, that, the other thing, and Step into what Jesus says about your life. Matthew 21, verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately... He will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a a foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them. And he sat on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. (laughs) Hosanna, yeah, Hosanna. (laughs) I'll, I'll just keep reading because I'll, I'll get stuck and I'll, I won't ever finish this sermon. And when, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city, everybody say, all the city. all the city. All the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God, and he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. They, the religious, were indignant. And he said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of your mouths, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying today. Lord, enrich in your word. Lord, let the seed of your word go deep in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take a look at the context here of what's happening in Matthew 21. We're celebrating today's Palm Sunday. We're celebrating Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It was was the Passover feast. The city was hustling and bustling. It was full of people. There was a lot happening. There was a lot going on. People were busy about the uh, sacrifices. They were busy about getting ready to celebrate. There was a lot taking place in the city. And Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go, get the donkey. Now, Jesus could have asked for any animal to ride in on, but he asked for a donkey. He asked for the lowliest, most stubborn of animals. Jesus is still using stubborn animals today. Get a mirror. Take a look in the mirror. He's using stubborn animals today. So if you feel disqualified that Jesus could never use you, that nothing nothing good could come out of your life, let me encourage you. Jesus can do miracles using you today. He can work a miracle through your life. So he sends a man, go get the donkey. Three things that the, that Jesus says to them regarding the donkey. I'm not going to preach on this. I just want to give you the context of what's happening. Three things he says to his disciples. One, I want you to go loose them. If there's anything that describes our ministry as believers, it's going to the lost, the broken, the hurting, those who are bound and discouraged, and loose them and set them free. And Jesus continues said, bring them to me. Loose them and bring them to me. Don't just give them good information. Get them into my presence. That's listen, that's our mission around here. I can give you good information all day long and you can leave and never be never be changed and keep living in the muck and the mire and the same old, same old, same old that you're living in. Or I can get you to live in the presence of the Lord. And that's what we preach, we teach, we practice. Living in the presence of God will change your life. It will bring freedom to the areas, that are ba- areas of bondage in your life. It'll bring liberty to the areas of your life where you're hurting, you're broken. It'll bring liberty to the places of sin. Today, if you're in bondage to sin, maybe there's an addiction in your life. Jesus can set you free. In his presence, there's freedom. How do I know that? Because I'm looking at people who've had addictions, who've been set free. I'm I've watched people with drug addiction get broken off their life. I've watched people who are in bondage to relationships, constantly looking for fulfillment through relationships, getting liberated. The presence of God, the power of God can liberate you and set you free. And great news is Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, loose them, bring them to me because I want to use them. I have need of them. Jesus wants to use you. He's gonna use your life. He wants to use your story. The area of bondage, the area of weakness, the very thing that Jesus sets you free from will become the pulpit from which you proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Matthew goes on he quotes Zechariah chapter 9 tell the daughter of Zion As we read in Matthew 21, that's a direct quote from Zechariah 9.9 that says, "'Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. He is just and having salvation. He is just and having salvation. Your king comes bearing good gifts today. You've come this morning maybe to get your Easter egg, but Jesus has met you here today with justice and salvation. You can leave today with more than just a basket full of Easter eggs and a good feel-good message. You can leave with justice and salvation. Shikabase. Thank you, Lord. Came lowly riding on a donkey, Bringing, bringing gifts. Oh, yeah. These just weren't any kind of gifts. These were the riches of heaven displayed for you and I. This wasn't just the frankincense gold and myrrh that were brought to Jesus at his birth. He came bearing gifts that cost him his life. Yeah, he could have brought any other kind of gift, but he brought gifts that cost him his life for you and I, and he brought them riding in on a donkey <laughs> just to display. Why would you do that, Jesus? Just because he wanted to display for you and I, how great a gift, how precious of a gift his justice and his salvation is for you and I. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, the one who breathed life into your nostrils, stepped out of eternity, stepped into his creation, and rode into town, announcing his kingship on a donkey, bearing gifts of justice and mercy for you. Justice and salvation for you. And this triumphant entry, this is quite the procession. The Passover is happening. People are yelling out, screaming out, shouting out. They're putting... Palm trees and branches and trees on the road. They're putting their, their clothes, their cloaks and such on the, on the road as a means of honor, as a statement of honor that, that a king is riding in, a king is coming into town. And they're yelling out, they're shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, what does that word Hosanna mean? It it's actually comes from a Hebrew word. They're using the Greek version, but it's a Hebrew word, and it's used one time in Scripture. There's one verse in Scripture where this word is used, and it's Psalms 118, 25. And in Psalms 118.25, it says this, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. The word Hosanna is translated save now or save us. And so what they're saying is, save us, God. Send us a Savior. Send us the Son of David. They're ascribing to Christ his messianic prophecy that this is the Messiah. This is the promised Savior of the world. This is the one who's been sent from God to save us of our sins. This is quite the declaration. These are the very people who didn't want to ascribe this title to Jesus. These are the people that were okay with him being Jesus of Nazareth. It's like saying Mike of Wadsworth. You know, they were okay with saying he's Mike of Wadsworth, but the minute that they say to him, son of David, Hosanna, Son of David. They're ascribing to Him the Lordship. They're ascribing to Him that He is the Christ. He's the one sent from God to save the world from their sins. And it drove the religious people crazy. They didn't like that. They thought it was blasphemy. It's interesting, this verse in Psalms 118 is also the same passage of scripture that is read during the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, if you remember, is a feast that celebrates the Israelites in their, in their journey out of the Promised Land when they lived in the wilderness they dwelt in tabernacles they dwelt in small tents they lived in these tents and so the feast of tabernacles was a it was a feast celebrating this and during the feast of tabernacles they would read From Psalms 118, and it's interesting that in Psalms 118, we find this verse. Come save us, Lord. Well, what is it? It is a prophecy. It is directly linked as a prophecy to John 114 that says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became flesh. He tabernacled. He came. God came and dwelt with you and I. And what does the writer, what does John say here? That we beheld his glory. We physically touched him. We saw him. We saw the glory of God for ourselves. He came and dwelt with us. He came and dwelt with us. So not only was it an Old Testament prophecy of things to come, but they were associating it with Jesus is come. God with us. God is dwelling with man. God has come to dwell with us. And the Bible says all the city was moved. The whole city, thousands of people, Thousands of people are in absolute uproar over Jesus and his entry on a donkey. Everybody's out. That means everybody was watching. And if they hadn't seen it, they had heard about it. The whole city had been stirred about Jesus and his ride into the city on the donkey. And everyone declaring, Hosanna in the highest. Son of David. What was Jesus' first order of business when he came into town? He went right into the temple. He went right to the temple. It says the temple of God. He went right to the temple. And he started overturning the money exchangers' tables. You see what was happening at this time frame. and Why was Jesus so upset about people having doves for sacrifices in the temple? I mean, after all, are not we supposed to bring our offerings to the Lord? What was the problem here? Why was Jesus having such a hard time with these people? Well, what was happening is you had all of these foreigners that were coming into, into the city to celebrate Passover. And they had to have the local money to make an offering. They had to have the local, the local money in order to present an offering in the temple. It would be like someone coming, let's say, from France. And they were, they were bringing the euro. And they had, to, they had to exchange the euro into dollars in order to give an offering. And that's what they were doing. They were exchanging the money in the temple so that they could give an offering. But what was happening is these money exchangers... We're making a profit off of the people exchanging their money because there were so many people in town. They saw an opportunity for some profit in in their personal life, if you know what I mean. They saw an opportunity to get some gain in their own pockets in the church when people were giving their offerings. And so Jesus said, that's not what my house is about. We don't give offerings for you to get rich off of it. We give offerings as a means of worship. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 56, verses 6 through 7, that say also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him. And to love the name of the Lord. This is, by the way, a prophecy concerning the Gentiles. He's making a prophecy concerning what's happening when he's overturning the tables. He says also the sons of the foreigner, the Gentiles, those who weren't Jewish, who joined themselves to the Lord. That's you and I to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Church is a place of joy. (laughs) We're happy today. If you're, maybe you're new today, you're wondering, wow, these are a happy bunch of people. We're happy. Jesus is a happy God. He's happy. He's happy. I want you to be joyful. That's his covenant. It says it right here. He says, I will bring them to my holy mountain. In other words, I will bring them into my presence and make them joyful in my church, in my house of prayer, in my church. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. He goes on, and the Bible says that the blind and the lame came to him and the temple, and he healed them. Not only does he tell them what the temple should not be, he tells them what it should be, and then demonstrates for them. <laughs> in other words, I, this make getting rich off the people, abusing the people. That's not what church is all about. He said the church is ought to, ought to be a place of prayer. It ought to be a place of my presence. It ought to be a place of my power. And the sick, those that needed healing, came to him, and he healed them. Today you may be you might be here with sickness, burdens, whatever it is, you are in the right place today. In the presence of the Lord, there's healing for you. There's breakthrough for your life. And it's not just coming to church on a Sunday and going out and living like the devil Monday through Saturday and then coming back in on Sunday expecting everything to be okay. It's living life in the presence of the Lord. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are born again, you have become the temple of God. You are a place of prayer. You are a house of prayer. You, if you are born again, you ought to be a person of prayer. You ought to be a person of God's presence and power. Everywhere you go, carrying the presence and the power of God in your life. We had our men's breakfast yesterday and Monty had a great comment I thought it was awesome, worth repeating even today. He says, if we really had faith, even if we would say we had small faith, if we had faith, we'd look at the sick and say, then be healed, and we lay hands on them and expect for their healing. Well, what if they don't get healed? Well, that's not our job. We're not the healer, and we don't determine who gets healed, when they get healed, and how they get healed. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick. That is the doctrine. My faith is in the Word of God. Lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. He takes care of the rest. Amen. So how do we deal with these fake news and hidden agendas? (laughs) I want to zero in on what happened with Jesus once he got into town. What happened with Jesus once he got in? And just discover a few things together here. First thing, Jesus destroyed all of the hidden agendas. He destroyed all of the hidden agendas. The Pharisees, the religious leaders didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like what he was saying. They were out to arrest him. They were looking for ways that they might arrest him. Matter of fact, at the end of Matthew 21 and verse 46, it says, But they sought to lay hands on him, and they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. The the religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus right then from start the very start of passover week they wanted to arrest him right then but they were afraid that a that a crowd would rise up a a riot would rise up against them because they arrested Jesus let me say this nothing is hidden before the sight of Christ nothing is hidden before God today hebrews 4:13 says and there is no creature hidden from his sight but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him Whom we must give an account. There is nothing in your life that God does not already know. There is nothing in your life that God does not already see. You are absolutely exposed before God today. You can try to hide your sin. You can try to hide all of the areas of your life, but there is nothing hidden before God. You can fake it before people. You can put on a mask in front of people, but before God, everything is exposed. It is laid bare before him. In Job 31 verse four, it says this, does he not see my ways and count my every step? He knows where you go. He knows what you say. He knows what you think. There's not one thing about your life that God is not concerned with. He is concerned about every detail, every hair on your head, He knows. Every place you go, He knows about it, and He's concerned about it. In Luke chapter 8, verse 17, it says, There is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. What is our response to God's omniscience? How are we to respond when God starts exposing the hidden agendas of our life? Every one of us have them. Don't look at religious at me like, oh, I'm so holy. Every one of us, every one of us in this room, we don't want our sin to be exposed. We don't want our issues to be exposed. We don't want people to know, what would they think about me if they really knew what I thought? What would they say about me if they really knew where I went or what I did or my past or my history or really what I want to do after church? What would they think about me? Oh, I know. I know you're sitting there thinking about this afternoon's meal and how good those burgers are going to be later and when's this preacher going to stop preaching so I can go outside and get those Easter eggs. I'm ready. I know what you're thinking. I can read your mind. It's a gift for every pastor. They can read your mind while, you're, while they're preaching. You can rest in God's understanding today. You may not know how it's going to work out. You may not know how the situation is going to get fixed. You may not know the people that you're dealing with and what's going to happen. But you can rest in God's understanding today. God knows what's going to happen. And he's ordaining your steps. Like Jairus. You know, Jairus' daughter was lying at home dead. And the, the religious man's family came to him. The leader, political leader's family came to him and said, hey, She's dead, don't bother the master. Your daughter is dead, don't worry about it. Your 12-year-old girl is dead, don't worry about it. And Jesus turned and said, don't fear, only believe. He knew the outcome. He knew that the girl was going to get up and wasn't going to die. Rest in God's understanding of your situation. And then secondly, understand this, that he already knows about your sin. You don't have to hide it from him. He already knows about the issues of your heart and your life. You don't have to try to hide it. He knows and that's why He came. He knows and that's why He died. He knows and that's why He was resurrected. He came for you. He came for your sin. Why on earth would we start our life as believers saying, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and spend the rest of our life trying to conceal what we've confessed as a a born-again believer? I'm a sinner. Why would we hide our sin? And why would we do that? Why would we just not say, Jesus, I'm a sinner every day of our life. I need you to change me. I need you to change this area of my life. I got a bad attitude that needs worked on. I have a lying problem that needs to work. I have a gossip problem that needs to work. I have a whatever problem. Jesus, you're my savior. You're the one sanctifying me, setting me free, healing me, restoring me. Hebrews says that he will save you to the uttermost. He'll save you spirit, soul, body. There's not one area that Jesus is not able to work out in your life. Hallelujah. Pride hides, repentance yields. Pride hides. Oh, I don't want you to know about that one, Jesus. I don't want people to know. I don't want to deal with that one. Let's just put that in the box and not worry about that. That's pride. Pride leads to destruction. Pride leads to destruction. When I'm secure in my, you've heard me say this before, when I'm secure in my justification, I have peace with God in my sanctification. When I know that I am his and he is mine and there is absolutely nothing that can separate me from the love of God. I have peace with God to know that when he convicts me, he's going to change me. I have peace with God to know that when he confronts me with the innermost thoughts of my heart and my life like David, search me, O oh God. He was a murderer, he was an adulterer, and he was a king. He was God's anointed. God, search me. Know my hearts, know my, know my thoughts, know my way. I don't have to hide because he's going to change me. And know this, that God settles every injustice. Yeah. When people speak evil against you and develop their hidden agendas against you and life happens, God settles every injustice. There's not one thing that he is not taking note of. You say, well, pastor, then why? Why do the wicked prevail? If I'm born again and I love Jesus and they're speaking evil against me and they seem to prevail against me, let me tell you this they are storing up judgment for their day of wrath. Don't look at them and judge them. Have compassion towards them and pray that the mercy of God might be upon them. Because there is a day of judgment coming upon the wicked. Those that don't know Christ, there is a day of recompense coming. And our God who reigns in justice, who reigns as a just God, will repay every evil for His with his justice. So don't think God doesn't take note. He's watching. Psalms 43, 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Job said, I don't know. Job faced a lot of injustice. He said, I don't know about all this. He said, I don't know about all this. I don't know what you're telling me. I don't know about all this. But one thing I know, my Redeemer lives. I don't know about all this, but my Redeemer lives. And on that day, I'll stand with him. I don't know about all of this injustice. I don't know about all that you're doing and all that you're saying and all the gossip and all the rumors. and all the, But one thing I know, my Redeemer lives. And then Jesus exposed the fake news. the, The religious leaders were trying to spread rumors that Jesus was inciting riots and spreading blasphemy. They looked at Jesus and they said, hey, do you hear what these people are saying? They became indignant. The scripture says they became indignant. That word indignant means they became angry. They were offended with Jesus. They became angry with Jesus because these little children were shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David. And they tried to start saying that Jesus was blaspheming. He was spreading heresy. That he was profaning the name of God. And they looked to him, and you can almost hear the attitude in their voices. Don't you hear what they're saying about you? <laughs> Ever been there before? Don't you hear what they're saying about you? Don't you care? That's what they're, don't you care? And Jesus said, Yeah. Yeah, I hear them. I hear exactly what they're saying. And these religious leaders who should know the scripture and knew exactly what Jesus was talking about when he looked at them and said this, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. He said, yeah, I hear them. I believe, as I I was reading this and as I was studying this and preparing, I believe that there is a generation, God is raising up a generation who is hungry for God that won't settle for what was. There is a younger generation that's rising up right now that's tired of religious garbage. They want the real, they want the presence of God. They want the tangible presence of God. They don't want fake church. They don't want the religious garbage of yesterday. They, they were marked. They're marked. They're marked by God. As I, you know, I think about, I look at the 20s and 30 year olds, people that, that, are, that are, are, are equivalent of my age and my age grouping and my wife's age grouping. When, when we take a look, that wasn't meant to say anything. <laughs> She's laughing at me. 20s or 30s. Was <laughs> <Stop leaving. laughs> My, what? never mind. I'll just, <laughs> I'll stop while I'm at. She's young and beautiful. Amen. <laughs> Amen. They. There, there is a generation, twenty or thirty year olds, right now, who were who were touched by God in a revival in the nineties. They experienced God and and all that He was doing in the nineties. The nineties was a season of of supernatural awakening in the church. And as I look around and the people that are at that age right now, they are proclaiming. They are preaching. People might my age, our age group, that are preaching this message that it is time for an awakening. It's time for an awakening. And I believe that there is a generation that is declaring the reality of God and His presence in this day. They won't settle for what was. Some of the fake news going around right now in church. Let me help you out. I'll just, I'll I'll clue you in. I'll give you some of the fake news that's out there today. There's a message. It's called antinomianism. It wasn't. This is this is an old word. You're like, what's that? I've never heard that before. It's a word that was that was um, Martin Luther created in the Reformation. That describes this. It is the rejection of morality and holiness because you're under grace. There is a message right now that preaches and teaches that you can live how you want, you can do what you want, you can go what you want, do what you just just do whatever you want because you're under grace. You're under grace, so it's okay. You can do whatever you want. Look this way. You can live however. That message is the doctrine of the devil. Look this way. That it's not scriptural. When you are under grace, grace changes you. Grace is the power of God that changes you to live holy. You can't live how, however you want. Grace of God changes you. There's a, there's a fake news going around about Consumerism Church. The church is all about me. Church was created for man. Make me comfortable, pastor. Entertain me, pastor. Let's have a good show, pastor. It's called Consumerism. It leads to disconnection, no relationship, no discipleship, no accountability. And it's not biblical. It's getting quiet in here. <laughs> Church is not about you. It's about him. Well, I don't like the st- I, I don't like the style of worship, pastor. Good. I wonder what Jesus thinks about it. Is he entertained in heaven? man-centered versus god-centered there's a lot of preaching out there that's all about you how you can be be the best you and make you look good how it's all about me it's all about me life's all about me we get stuck we're like we're like robots it's all about me you know we're programmed it's all about me and it and that ideology has infiltrated the church and and preachers in order to keep people happy, are preaching a message that's all about you. Yes. Let me tell you something. Jesus came and died on a cross, resurrected from the grave. and we, t- we take that message, we take that, that word, and we say, "Well, it's all about me. I'm so wonderful. Look at me, I'm so wonderful. Do you think that you're so wonderful that it deserved God to step out of creation? I mean, you're thinking really highly of yourself. I mean, how great I am. (laughs) That God would step out of heaven to come rescue me. How great I am. All of a sudden, you've exalted yourself from the worm that you are to some majestic person. Why did God come and step into creation? Because He wanted to display His glory in your life. That's why He came. He came to take the reprobate, the sinner, the weak, the foolish, and make you into His, his picture, His masterpiece to display His glory. Has absolutely nothing to do with you and everything to do with Him. Because when he begins to display his glory in your life, when you begin to see the glory of God in your life, it's then that you find fulfillment. It's then that you find your joy. You were created for the glory of God. You were fashioned and formed by the creator of the universe to display his glory. And so when you step in and say, God, I'm a sinner, I need you, then you're stepping in and saying, God, I want to find fulfillment in you. Display your glory in my life. It's not about me, but it's all about you. And I'll wrap up with this. Jesus kept on ministering. When the fake news and the hidden agendas were rolling, he just kept up with what, his, what he was called to do. Don't stop. Keep pressing in. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill what God's called you to do. The greatest enemy of our enthusiasm is time. The greatest enemy of your zeal and your passion for God is time over time. I mean isn't it true that when you go on vacation the first day you're like wow, I'm excited. Look at me. I'm I'm ready to roll. I mean this is vacation time. Look at the uh, you know we go to the beach. Look at the beach. Look at all that's happening. And then by the end of the vacation what happens? I'm ready to go home. <laughs> I'm ready to be back in my own bed. We start a new job. Woo, I started a new job. I'm excited until day one happens and you start trading. You're like, oh no, what did I get myself into? (laughs) Over time, our zeal, our passion wanes. That's why Paul told Timothy, stir up, fan into flame, the gift of God is in you. Keep doing what God's called you to do. Enjoy Him. Find your joy in Him. I did some quick math. You have 2 billion seconds in your lifetime. That seems like a lot, but when you really think about it, 2 billion seconds, which is about 700 million breaths an average. Think about that for a second. What are you doing with those seconds and those breaths? Are you wrapped up and concerned about what everybody else is saying, and what everybody else is doing? Are you in bondage to a lie that somebody told you about yourself that they, has no bearing in your life whatsoever? It's not the truth. Are you fulfilling what God's called you to do? Look at me, every single one of us Every single one of us in this room have a date in God's date book where we'll stand before him and give an account of our lives. There is absolutely nothing, we read it earlier, that you and I won't give an account for. We'll stand before God with it all. You have a date where you'll stand before God. When you stand before him and he opens up the book of life, I can promise you this. I can promise you this. There's no fake news. And there's no hidden agendas in God's book of life. It's absolutely true. Every detail, every mark of your life that's written in that book is 100% truth. How is it between you and the Lord today? When you stand before God and he says, On what account should you be in heaven? Are you going to tell him about all the good deeds that you've done and how good of a person you are? Let me tell you something. It's fake news. Oh, I'm a great person. It's fake news. Look at all that I've done. It's fake news. It won't hold up. It won't hold up. The only reason, the only way in, the only way into heaven Jesus said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a relationship with Him. It's a relationship with Christ, a daily relationship with Christ. Just because you've prayed a prayer, just because you've come to a church on Easter week, Palm Sunday, doesn't mean that you're getting into heaven. The only way in is Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Please no moving around If you can stay in the sanctuary for the next few moments, we're wrapping up. We're going to give you instruction in just a moment. But I want us to stand and pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, this morning for my friends and family who are here today celebrating Palm Sunday together. Lord, I pray that if anyone in this room, Lord, does not know you, they are away from you. Lord, I pray that today, today would be a day of reality. Lord, not just concepts. Lord, it's not just concepts, but the reality of the gospel and their life. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store.